We want to welcome those of you who would be joining us by our podcast. I want to tell you that if you're joining us by podcast, you just missed a great time of worship. We, there were people actually dancing in the aisles today uh, in worship, and so uh, I'm kidding you, but we did have a great time. If you're just joining us for the first time, I uh, want to just catch you up on where we've been. We, we're in a series that we're calling uh, New Marriage, Same Spouse, and really this subject for us as a church is mission critical. Uh, one of the reasons that we named ourselves City Church was that we want to inspire a gospel revolution in this city uh, of Evansville. And perhaps the most revolutionary thing that we can do as a city is not, you know, is, maybe it's not Lincoln School. Uh, maybe it's not uh, the Community One ministry that we're part of. Uh, maybe it's not the Second Chances ministry that we do for people that are uh, coming out of prison. All of those are very important, by the way. But perhaps the most important thing that we can do as a church is model, is model radical belief in the institution of marriage as God created it. That might be the most revolutionary, inspirational thing that we can do for this city. Kathleen Parker, who is a writer for the Washington Post, uh, recently was writing about marriage, and she quoted, she quoted the lead author in, in one of her articles. She quoted the lead article of a recent study that was done by the University of Virginia, and it was called The State of Our Unions. And in this, the lead author uh, says this. She says, she says marriage... And I want you to get this line because this is a really important line. She says, marriage is not merely a private arrangement. It is also a complex social institution. Marriage fosters small cooperative unions, also known as stable families, that enable children to thrive, shore up communities, and help family members to, su to succeed during good times and to weather bad times. Researchers are finding that the disappearance of marriage in middle America is tracking with the, the, the disappearance of the middle class in the same communities, a change that strikes at the very heart of the American dream. It, it, I think it's an astute observation she makes, although it's not a coincidence because God designed marriage, that healthy marriages shore up communities and they help children uh, to thrive. However, one of the most devastating realities in evangelicalism is that while the national divorce rate seems to have uh, leveled out, the divorce rate among evangelicals is accelerating. Now, careful, I know, careful how you interpret what I just said, because I know as soon as, I, as, soon as you hear me say that, some of, you, uh, some of you are very sensitive because you've been divorced, and I completely understand that. I am not saying that there are not legitimate reasons uh, for divorce, and I'm not trying to throw around a lot of guilt. That is not my intent at all. I'm not trying to shame anybody. Simply saying what I think many of you who have been through divorce would say yourselves, that we could do this city a lot of good if we could, as a church, inspire healthy commitment to making marriages work and to making uh, marriages work well. I think everybody here would agree with that. So what we've been doing in this series is that we've been taking a careful look at how God designed marriage in what is arguably the, the is certainly the longest and arguably the most in-depth description of marriage in all of the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind you that one of the things that we've been doing in this series is we've been asking you to submit questions that you have about marriage. And you can submit them anonymously. In fact, uh, in your program, there's a little prayer request card. And, and you could just flip that card over and anonymously write a prayer request, excuse me, write a question about marriage on the back of that card and then just put it in the offering bucket as the offering is passed around. And what I'm going to do is in the last week of the series, I'm going to try to answer those questions. In fact, we're even trying to answer some of those now on social media. 
Um, but I would encourage you to do that. We, we want your questions. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, you know, I was talking about community groups just a moment ago. Last Sunday night in the community group that meets in my home, the people in the community group were making fun of me. And they were making, that's real encouraging, isn't it? They were making fun of me. Uh, and uh, what they were making fun of me about is that they say that when I'm preaching, I, one of the gestures that I use is that sometimes I do this. Now, I thought at first that they were complimenting me, and they were saying that I was doing like this, like I'm hip, like I'm down with stuff. But what they were saying was that I was doing this in kind of a feeble way. Now, it's made me very self-conscious, and so I'm going to concentrate today on not doing this, okay? Uh, Because they want to catch me doing that again, and they want to make fun of me doing that. Um, I realize as I said this now that I've just made it worse, because if I accidentally do this, you're going to see, you're going to be watching for it, and then you'll laugh. But I'm going to try my best to make my gestures a little more intentional rather than feeble like that, okay? So... Um, just so that you know that. Okay, let's uh, back to marriage. Let's go uh, verse 21, chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the verses up here on the screen uh, so that you can read them with us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. I want you to notice as we read this passage how often Paul flips back and forth between marriage and Christ's relationship to the church. I'll address that in a minute, but I just want you to be noticing that. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I know it's a long passage to read each week uh, through this series, but I, I really want you to know this passage. I want you to understand it. I want you to know where it is, and I want you to know that God has designed marriage, that it's theological in its origins. It is not anthropological, and this is where you go to find what God has to say about marriage. Now, I want to just do a little quick review with you so far uh, about the four most foundational points that we've made throughout this series. Here they are, real quickly. First of all, the power for marriage. That's what we talked about so far. The power for marriage is the Holy Spirit who indwells you. Uh, he indwells you after you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power, from, power for marriage is the Holy Spirit. The problem in marriage, in any marriage, if you go down deep to beneath everything, the problem in marriage is self-centeredness. It always is. That's the problem in marriage. Third, the definition of marriage is commitment. It is not present feelings. It is not what I say today. It's my commitment, my love, my commitment is a commitment that I'm going to be there in 20 years, 30 years, if I live long enough for 50 years regardless of how I feel. And then fourth, the priority of marriage. We talked about this last week, that nothing is to come between you and your spouse. Nothing, not even your children, uh, not your family, uh, not your parents, not your friends, not your hobbies, not your career. Nothing is to become, come between uh, you and your spouse. Okay, that's where we've been so far. Now here's where I want to go today. 
And I'm just going to give you the point right up front, and then I'm going to explain it. I want to talk today about the purpose of marriage. And here it is, very simply. The purpose of marriage uh, is friendship. The purpose of marriage is friendship. And I would imagine that that surprises some of you. But the purpose of marriage is friendship. That your spouse is to be your best friend. And I, I think that that probably surprises some people because uh, today um, people think that the main um, purpose of marriage is primarily uh romance with a little friendship sprinkled in, or maybe sex with uh, some friendship sprinkled in. And romance and sex uh, are to be a, a very important part of marriage. I mean, they really are. But marriage is primarily about friendship with romance and sex liberally sprinkled in, not, not the other way around. And you can see that in this text, but before I show you, I, I want to set it up uh, for you for just a moment. Any of you here remember the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan? Okay, any of you see that? Okay. Uh, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, uh, but I would also tell you that 1998 is calling and wondering why you haven't seen that movie yet. That's, uh, <laughs> okay, so let me just tell you, I'll give you a little brief summary about what that movie's about. Three days... After World War II, after the invasion of Nor- excuse me, after the invasion of Normandy in World War II, a captain and seven other soldiers are assembled, and their orders are that they're going to go behind him in enemy lines, and they're going to find this particular soldier, Private Ryan, and they're going to bring him home safely to his family because his family has already lost uh, three other sons in the war. Most of the movie is about the journey to find this soldier and the way that the men uh, bond with one another along the way and the sacrifices that they make and the casualties that they take in search of the soldier. When they finally find Private Ryan, he and just two other soldiers are trying to defend a strategic bridge in a small French village. They tell him about the loss of his brothers. He's saddened, obviously, by the death of his brothers, but it turns out that he does not want to go home. He doesn't want to go with them. And he asks permission of the captain of the group that was sent to find him, and he says, he says can I stay and fight with the only brothers that I have left? And the captain of the search group, he reluctantly agrees, and he he ends up taking command of the battle for this bridge that they're trying to uh, defend. During the battle, most of the search group is killed. The captain also receives a mortal wound. And as he lay dying, he says his last words to Private Ryan. And his last words to Private Ryan were, Earn this, he said. Earn this. In other words, the sacrifice that he and that these other men had made for him earned this, he says. In the next and final scene, many years have passed, and Private Ryan is now an old man. 
And with his wife and his children and his grandchildren along with him, he makes a journey to, back to Normandy. And he's at the gravesite of the captain at this military cemetery in Normandy. And he is in tears. And he asks his wife, Am I a good man? Have I lived a good life? Am I worthy of the sacrifice? And she says, You are. Never forget, I took a group of guys uh, who were on my staff back then uh, to go see that movie. And that last scene of the ending was so emotional <laughs> that none of us could talk as we walked out because we were so choked up and none of us wanted to show tears in front of the other. And so we, there was a whole lot of <clears throat> clearing throats and, you know, hands in pockets and looking straight ahead. And, and uh, you know, what we were all struck by in that movie and especially in that scene was the deep bond of friendship that had developed among these men as a result of the mutual journey that they had gone on together and ultimately the sacrifice that they had made for this, this soldier. In fact, it was a bond that was so strong that it had even transcended time and it had so moved Private Ryan himself that he had lived the rest of his life with this singular purpose of being worthy of the sacrifice that these men had made. There's a Presbyterian pastor out of New York City. He's an author as well. Some of you undoubtedly are familiar with him. His name is Tim Keller. And he, he once defined friendship in this way. It made me think about that movie. It makes me think about marriage. He says, friendship is a deep oneness that comes from a mutual journey to the same horizon. Let me read that again. Friendship, he says, is a deep oneness that comes from a mutual journey to the same horizon. And I think that if you, if you listen to this text, if you really listen to this text, I think you can hear Paul describing this kind of friendship in a marriage relationship. Sometimes, you know, let me make sure you guys understand something. There are times that I think that it's really important to take a text, in fact, most of the time, I think it's important to take a text and really you know, br- understand its big picture and then break it down into the little details of the passage. I think that's very important. There are times, though, and I think maybe this is one of those passages, there are times where it's important to listen. Just listen to the text and to listen to the rhythms and listen to the waves of the text and listen, listen to the message of the text. And not allow yourself to get so confused by the details that you don't hear it. And this is one of those times. I'll just tell you that in the beginning. Just listen to some of these verses. And see if you don't hear this idea of a deep oneness and a mutual journey that comes from moving toward the same horizon. Listen, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You hear the oneness? Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 25, um, husbands, 
verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wives, respect your husbands. I don't, can you hear it? There's sacrifice all over this passage, and there is a deep oneness that comes as a result of two very different people on a mutual journey toward a common horizon. And you ask, well, what is the common horizon? And the common horizon, I think, in this passage is the throne of Christ. So there's a, the deep oneness that is being described here comes from a mutual journey between two people to get one another into a a holy and blameless state. Each person in the marriage making significant sacrifices for the other to get them to that place. And what's so fascinating about this passage, and we'll talk about it more in the weeks ahead, but I asked you to listen for this as we were reading it. As Paul writes this passage, you can hear him. He's moving back and forth between marriage and between Christ's Uh, between marriage and Christ's relationship to his church. Because what Paul sees is that marriage derives its inspiration from Christ's sacrifice for his church. And he sees marriage, too, as a public manifestation to the community. Like your marriage and my marriage. He sees it as a public manifestation to the community of the city of Evansville of a kind of sacrificial love that Christ demonstrated on the cross. How you and I relate, it's, 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 it's a visual picture for people of how Christ sacrificed his own life on the cross. It's two people dying to their own self-centeredness and their own pride and their own ego to get the other person to the throne of Christ. It's like, it's like you look at the other person and you say, you say, I see, I see underneath your weaknesses. And I see underneath your dependencies. Um, I see underneath all of that. And it's under, underneath all of that that I see something. I see someone that is absolutely ravishing that God is turning you into. I see in you flashes of immortality. I see in you flashes, glimpses of glory. And I want to be part of helping you to become the person that God wants you to be. I see your potential. I want to be part of that. And I, I want you to know that you could do that to me too. I hope you're seeing those flashes and glimpses of, of glory and immortality in me. And I, I need you to help me get to the throne of Christ too. I need you to help me to become all that I can be and all that God wants me to be. I need you for that. You see, there is this deep bond of friendship that forms between two people as they mutually journey toward this common horizon. Through some of the best that life has to offer and through some of the very worst that life has to offer, sacrificing for one another along the way. And that deep bond that deep oneness that comes is called, is called friendship. That's the purpose for marriage. It's friendship. Now, this idea that 
Uh, the purpose for marriage is friendship. It has enormous implications uh, for our marriages. And, and it also ha- those of you who are single, those of you who are dating, those of you who are young and maybe you're not married yet, or, or maybe you've been divorced and you are um, considering marriage again. I want you to know that this idea that the purpose for marriage is friendship, it has enormous implications for you. And I, I'm going to mention three, okay? Three implications that that has for marriage. And there are probably others. I just I'll only have time for three. Here, here's the first one. And you need to understand this. You will regularly, because the purpose of marriage is friendship, you will regularly find yourself falling in and out of like. Now, I say in and out of like because I want to make sure that you never, I don't want to hear anybody at City Church ever say, I don't want to see it on Twitter. I don't want to ever hear a rumor that anyone at City Church has ever said, I fell out of love with my spouse. Because we've already talked about that in this series. We have defined love. We've, we've made the point. We've established the fact that love is a commitment. It's not a present feeling. Love is a commitment. I'll be there in 10 years. I'll be there in 20. I'll be there in 50, regardless of how I feel. That's what love is. So you don't fall in and out of love. You do fall in and out of like, of like, and you will experience that in your marriage. And you must not be alarmed by that. A lot of people get alarmed by that. They're like, oh, I fell out of like. Well, I must not have married the right person. No, you married the right person. You will fall out of like. There are sparks that fly in marriage, and they are not always romantic sparks. Sometimes they come from friction. I don't know if you understand this, One of the real similarities between a Christian marriage and a marriage that is made up of people who have not yet responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are similarities. There are differences, but there are some similarities. And one of the similarities between a Christian marriage and a a marriage that's not distinctly Christian, one of the similarities is that both people in the marriage, either one of those kind of marriages, are both imperfect. That's, That's a similarity, right? Both have people in the marriage that have baggage. Do you understand this? One of the, somebody, uh, one of the questions that someone submitted, it was a fantastic question. Uh, question. Uh, they asked, why do we pretend uh, to one another in church that our marriages are perfect? And I, my answer to that is, I don't know. Uh, because none of us have perfect marriages. I want to say to you guys, with all humility this morning and with all candor and with all authenticity that I am married to a very imperfect person. (laughs) And so is she. I'm outing all of you this morning. Look around. There's no one perfect in this room, and there is no perfect marriage in this whole bunch. So just, you're out. You know, we all, we all know that now, okay? So we've all said it. It's out there. It's done. Here is, though, the difference between a Christian and a marriage that is not distinctly Christian. In a marriage that is not distinctly Christian, when you brush up against your spouse's imperfections, you think to yourself, I wish I had someone better. And you get this image of someone else um, who would not have your spouse's baggage, okay? 
Now, here's the thing. They might not have your spouse's baggage, but they'll have other baggage. But that's another thing. In, in a Christian marriage, though, in a, in a marriage that is distinctly Christian, you understand that there is this common horizon toward which you're journeying. It's the throne of Christ. And the person that you're frustrated with in the moment and that you may have fallen out of like with in the moment, you know that the person that you envision better is actually the person that you're married to. What you want is their perfection. What you want is the person that they will one day be at the throne of Christ in eternity. You want the holy them. You want the radiant them. You want the them that is held back by absolutely nothing. And you know that the only way that you're going to get that person is to stick with them. Because that's how God designed marriage. That's why you're there in their life. To help them get to that place. You made a commitment to a very imperfect person to help them become the person that God designed them to be. You're going to fall in and out of like. It's going to happen. But you're there to help them as you guys journey together toward that common horizon. Now that's, that's how a Christian marriage views falling in and out of like and one another's imperfections. Okay. Now here's a second implication that I want to give you for this idea that the purpose of marriage is friendship. And this is for those of you who are single. Maybe, you, maybe you've never been married. Maybe you've been married and it didn't work and you're looking perhaps to, you're considering another uh, spouse. Here's what I want you to get. The best way to choose a spouse is to look for a friend. Now, that's very countercultural because the way that our culture says that you choose a spouse is that you choose one that you are most physically attracted to or somebody who can, uh, who's very popular that will you know, kind of pull you into their social circles or someone who has enormous earning potential uh, for the future. Uh, look, there's nothing wrong with marrying somebody who's attractive or marrying someone who is popular or marrying someone who has enormous earning potential. But let me tell you something. None of those will make a sustainable marriage. They just won't. I have known men who are married to beautiful women who couldn't stand them two years into the marriage. And I have known women who married men who had more money than God who would do anything to get out of their marriage. One of the things, it was very shocking to me early in my ministry, there was a woman in uh, my church who was married to a very prominent stockbroker in Dallas. In fact, the guy was, uh, he had a radio show, he had a TV show. Uh, they had very serious problems in their marriage. And one time she commented, uh, she commented to me, she said, and by the way, no offense uh, on what she's going to say here, but she said, I would rather be married to a plumber who pays attention to me than this guy with all of his wealth who ignores me. Now, again, no offense to anybody who's a plumber. In fact, if you're a plumber, if you're a Christian plumber, give me your card because I'm always on the search for a Christian plumber. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, I'm just saying that money, wealth, is not enough to sustain a marriage for a lifetime. And neither is beauty, and neither is popularity, or any of that stuff. All of the cultural messages about how you choose a spouse are going to point you in the wrong direction. You might end up marrying someone that you like less, 
than some people who are your friends right now. The best way to choose a spouse is to determine, do I want to be friends with this person? Would I want to be friends with this person? Do they have the same values? Uh, are, we, are we on a journey toward a common horizon? Do they believe the same things uh, I believe? You may very well have ruled out potential mates because you're trying to start your relationship with romance and with sparks rather than friendship. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. I'll be very honest with you. I think, I really do think, I get most of you in this, you know, like next generation that are coming up. I think I get you guys because I worked with many of you when you were children. Okay, not you specifically, but with your generation when you were children. I think I get you guys. I really do. In fact, I think I'm down with you guys. But one thing I don't understand is how confused you are about whether you're dating someone or not. I'll say, are you guys dating? Well, we're just friends. Really, you're just friends? Well, yeah, we don't, it's not like we stare at each other over candles or anything. Well, do you enjoy him? Do you like being around him? I mean, do you like her? Is she fun to be with? Do you like her? Do you enjoy her? Do you have the same values? Yeah. Well, you're dating. You're seriously you're dating you're dating the way the bible tells you today you just don't know you're dating see building a friend build a friendship with someone and eventually what you'll find you might find that you're staring at each other romantically over a candle but put the friendship first and let the romance and stuff come last don't put the romance first put the friendship first okay and here's the third thing that i want to say the third uh, principle, uh, the third implication of this principle that the purpose of marriage is friendship is this, that a Christian can't marry a non-Christian. Don't you see? You wouldn't, if, you, if, if a Christian marries a non-Christian, you wouldn't have a common horizon. Uh, you wouldn't have a, a mutual journey that you're walking on. I... Some of the loneliest people I know are married to people who they hoped would become Christians after the marriage, but they never did. And they are in a marriage that they are very lonely because often they are raising children with a spouse who does not have the same common horizon. and They're not on the same journey together, and that's a very lonely place to be. Now, if you're in a marriage right now and you are not best friends, you're probably wondering, well, how, how do we get there? How do we become best friends? And I want to read this to you. I, I don't usually, this, this doesn't usually happen. I don't, I don't usually do this. I want you to understand. Um, but someone tweeted something last night. And I realized it was just, it was just after I, uh, in fact, I was, I tell you the truth, I was laying in bed and, and I just was checking tweets and stuff. And I saw this tweet and I thought it was so poignant and I thought it said so much better than the way I was going to say what I wanted to say here about this. I just thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. And I just want to read this to you. In the gospel... Confession and repentance and honesty and humility unleash tidal waves of grace that can bring about actual transformation. In the gospel, 
Confession and repentance and honesty and humility unleash tidal waves of grace that can bring about actual transformation. The implication of the gospel is that your marriage can change. Grace can change your marriage. You can become best friends. What's that going to take? Well, it's going to take some honesty. The two of you are going to have to sit down and you're going to have to say, let's honestly assess where we are. We're really not living like best friends, are we? We're, we're living like roommates. But we're not best friends. It's going to take some honesty. And it's going to take some confession and repentance about your role in this. Part of the reason that we're not best friends is because I've been doing this. I've been acting this way. I haven't been doing this. It's going to take some confession and repentance. And it's going to take some humility to acknowledge that you're not where you want to be and some humility to ask for help. And by asking for help, I, that, may, that might include a professional counselor. It might include a pastor or someone that you're asking for help. Uh, can we all grow up about this issue of counseling and just get our big boy and big girl panties on and just recognize that this is part of life, that people sometimes need counseling, that good, sane, normal people sometimes need counseling. Sometimes we need objective help from other people to help us get through spots that we're at that we can't figure out how to get through because we're not objective enough to get through. In fact, I will tell you, the couples that I counsel before they get married, I always tell them, save money for counseling because you're going to need it. And I just tell you, that's, that's, can we just all get past any shame or embarrassment about that? We need it. My wife and I have been to counseling. She needs it. And so we've been sometimes. And I might as well not go home today. Uh, no. Uh, I, most of it's been about me, actually. But, but we've been. I'm not ashamed to tell you that. You know why? Because I think that's wise. When you get to a place that you can't figure out how to get through, you go and you ask someone for help. That takes wisdom. I'm proud of that. <laughs> I'm proud of that. And I think you should be too. So let's just get over that stuff. What I'm trying to say, confession, repentance, honesty, and humility, all of these things can unleash tidal waves of grace. There is hope for change. You can become friends. I don't care how long you haven't been friends. You can become friends. The arm of the Lord is long. There is no one out of his reach. You can become friends. You can become best friends in your marriage. That's the purpose of marriage, friendship. Okay, time to wrap up. I want to just, let me conclude with this. A few moments ago, I told you the story of the movie Saving Private Ryan. And I told you how the captain, in his last dying words, says to Private Ryan, he says, earn this. Earn this. Earn what we have done. I walked out of that movie as emotional as all the other guys. After I'd had some time, some distance from the movie, I thought about that end of the movie, and as poignant as that was, I thought, how hard it would have been if I were Private Ryan to live with those words. Earn this. How in the world will you ever know if you've done enough? 
And in fact, at the end of the movie, you even see that in Private Ryan because he's, he's, you know, he's in tears and he's kind of emotionally tormented by this idea of, have I done enough? Was I a good enough man? Did I earn this? And I realized, <laughs> I realized that the gospel is so different than the end of that movie. Because in the gospel, Jesus died for me but his last words were not earnness. In fact, he said the opposite of earnness. He said, it is finished. Everything that was needed to be done to earn your salvation was done on the cross. And in his death, he made me worthy. There's nothing to earn. The verdict on my life is already in. Jeff, you're worthy. And the verdict on anybody who's responded to the gospel, the verdict is in on your life, Doug. You are worthy. You are worthy. And whatever I do now, I don't do it to earn anything. I, I do it because I love Christ. That's grace. That's what grace is. It's not obligation. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's not any of that. It's just, I love Jesus, and I want to do it for him. And what's interesting is, before he died on the cross, in one of the last conversations that he had with his disciples, he told them this, ironically. I'm not doing this anywhere, am I? He told them this, ironically, because I want this to be strong, what I'm going to say here. He told them this, ironically, and I'm going to close with this. He said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Christ did for us. And it's what marriage is all about. Friendship. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Would you bow your heads with me? Ushers are going to come up, and in a minute they're going to take an offering. If you're, if you're a regular part of this church and believe that this is a good place for you to contribute, um, to invest your resources for eternity, we, we can certainly use your resources. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then they'll take an offering. Lord Jesus Christ, um, we acknowledge today that you have demonstrated love in the greatest way, um, by laying down your life, and you called us friends. We, that's hard for us to believe, that you call us friends. And as much, Lord, as we honor men and women who are soldiers, and we thank them for what they do, and sometimes they make the sacrifice of their lives for us, we recognize that one thing is very distinctive about you, and that is that you were never going to die. You never had to die. I mean, a soldier even if they die young, and that's, that's horrible and it's tragic and it's a sacrifice, it's not like yours. You were never going to die. You never had to die, but you did for us, who you called your friends. And so we acknowledge and affirm that today. And Lord, we want to emulate that. We want to be people who communicate that, who preach that by our lives and specifically by our marriages and how we love one another. And 
And uh, Lord, we want to have a commitment to this institution of marriage that is radical and that inspires a revolution in this city. Because we recognize that marriage is not just a private institution. It is something you designed. It is a social, theological institution for the good of humanity. And we want to be part of that. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you today. It's in your name we pray.